you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 9. At uh, John chapter 9, really the whole thing. We started just a little two-part series. Uh, we started looking at this last week. Today we're going to finish uh, this chapter. And so um, we're going to read John 9, verses 1 through 41. So folks, listen. This is God's Word. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. Amen. Well, this chapter in the Bible is really, it's about two things. Okay, it's about a miracle. This man who was born blind has been healed. And we talked about the miracle last week. But this chapter is also about the discussions that erupted after this man was healed. Okay, discussions about the healing, about the man, and about Jesus, the healer. And these discussions became about God, about truth, about evidence, and about who is right. And in that light, these conversations are not that unfamiliar to us, right? We have these conversations still today. Conversations about God, about Jesus, about evidence, about how you know anything. What this passage shows us is that blindness keeps us from seeing the truth. Okay, that's what this passage shows us again and again and again. Blindness keeps us from seeing the truth. Okay, there's four kinds of blindness that we see from the different people who interact with the man who was formerly blind. I highlighted in bold and underlined, you know, the different people that are involved here so that we can kind of see it in the text from your bulletin. Um, And we're going to see, as we look at these different kinds of blindness, we're going to see how all of us are tempted. Okay, this is for Christians and non-Christians. All of us are tempted to avoid the truth, to be blind to the truth. And we're going to see how experiencing Jesus can cure our blindness. Okay, and so if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want to encourage you that experiencing Jesus will free you up and make you open to the truth wherever it leads. Okay, Um, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to, I'm going to challenge you a little bit and ask you to examine the reasons why you may object to Jesus. Okay, as a church here at Harbor, like we are, we welcome the tough questions about Jesus, about the scriptures, about faith. And we want to help you see for yourself whether or not Jesus is who he says he was. And so we're going to see this blindness really, like I said, in four ways. So there's three points there on your outline. You have to find room to make a fourth. We're going to see um, first that we are blinded by normal. Okay, we're blinded by normal. We're also blinded by power. We're blinded by approval. 
And then fourth, we're blinded by experts. Okay, these are the sources of the blindness in this passage that I think are very relevant to what we experience today. Blinded by normal, by power, by approval, and blindness. And so, um, so let's look. Let's jump in. First, we are blinded by normal. This is verses 8 through 12, and it deals primarily with the, the neighbors. Okay? You see there in verse 8, it talks about the neighbors. Um, what was their response when this man came back seeing? It says the neighbors and those who'd seen him as a, before as a beggar, they were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said yes, some said no, some said, you know, this can't be the guy, right? Some are like, yeah, yeah, that's him. No, 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 it's not him, but this guy is like that guy that used to be blind, right? You know, and so the idea here is that the folks who didn't recognize him as the blind man, it's almost like they were saying, you know what? It couldn't be the same guy because these things don't ever happen. Right? This isn't normal. Right? And so when confronted with the possibility that this guy that they have seen their entire life, for his whole life, begging blind, now he's all of a sudden looking around and he can see, given the choice, lots of people, seems like, lots of his neighbors thought, you know what? No, it must not be him, right? And in a sense, they were blinded by what is normal, okay? This didn't happen because it has never happened, okay? And that's understandable, right? I mean, we're not supposed to be stupid. We're not just supposed to believe anything that anybody tells us. And it seems like these folks have kind of an intellectual objection to what happened to this guy. The neighbors ask questions. They say, like, is this the same guy? Fair question, right? Are you sure? Again, fair question. Um, Then they ask, well, then how? Verse 11, right? Well, if that was you, how did you you receive your sight? Right, these are, and then verse 12, they ask him, well, where's Jesus? Okay, like these are natural questions that seem to be um, coming from a desire to find out like what the deal is. They're, they're examining the evidence, right? They're being presented with this guy and they ask questions that seem normal, that, uh, that seem rational, that seem like they may be even seeking the truth, okay? Um, I think what we need to be careful though about um, where good, honest seeking, where, where good questions can turn into blindness is when we begin to think that normal um, has to be the governing principle in reality, okay? It's one thing to say, I've never seen this happen before, so I'm going to ask some more questions to find out if it really happened, versus it turns into blindness when you say the fact that this never happened before means it could not have happened. Does that make sense? If you are unwilling to actually receive the answers and the evidence to your honest intellectual questions, then that's when it turns to blindness. And you begin, whether you know it or not, you begin to say the fact that this has never happened means it could not have happened. Okay? I think a lot of times that happens to us. Again, Christians and non, we all can be tempted and are all guilty of this where somebody else has an experience that you've never had and it's really easy for you to dismiss it really easy to say well that didn't really happen or you explain it away 
And I think for us, the blind, being blinded by normal, that happens when we act. Again, sometimes we do this on purpose. Sometimes we don't know we're doing this. But this is what happens is that we begin to act like we know all there is to know about how the universe works. Okay, and again, I don't know that anybody really says that consciously, but that is what you end up acting like. You think that you know everything there is to know about how the, or you, you think that you know for certain that some things can't happen, right? And you need to be careful there. You need to be careful that you don't act like your experience alone determines what others do or don't experience, Okay? Like I've found this to be true when other people, <clears throat> when I'll share an experience that I've had of God and other people will interpret my experience for me. Right? Have you ever had that happen where you feel really amazed that God has done something powerful in your life and you tell somebody else about it and they say, oh, well, you know what, that was, and they offer you an alternative explanation. That wasn't really God, you know. Um, a lot of times people will do this so they don't need to take what you're saying seriously. Now, in this passage, I think we are confronted by the, the normal that can blind us. Um, if there is, I mean, I think all of us could admit, hopefully, that there are things that go on in the world that we can't explain. Right? There are things for which we have no explanation. There are, you know, science can only go so far. There are things, think about relationships. How much of relationships lies in the realm of the unexplainable, Right? If there are things that are beyond our experience or outside of our understanding, then maybe there's a God. Maybe, right? And if there is a God, wouldn't you expect that that God might at times do things that would go beyond the realm of what is normal? I I think that is, we just have to realize that that's a possibility. That's a possibility. And so um, the way this man responds to his neighbors and they're being blinded by normal, he just shares a story, right? That's all he does. Verse 9, he says, it's me. It's me. I was blind. You know, I, I'm that guy. It's not somebody else. I don't just look like him. I am him. You know, and then he said, here's what happened. Verse 11, Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and told me to go and wash. So I did, and that's how I saw there's power in this testimony there is power in this man's experience of jesus he was healed and all he does is tell his story and i would invite all of you to do the same thing all you need to do is tell your story all you need to do is tell what has jesus been doing in your life what ways has he been real to you? And if you get nervous about that, then you just need to see what the, the, the next thing that this man says to his neighbors, okay? Because they ask him a question, well, where is Jesus? And what does he say in verse 12? I don't know. Four more precious words there are not when you think about talking about your experience of Jesus, Okay? This man said it, and it actually got written into the Bible, right? Guess what? You can say the same thing. 
you can talk about your experience of Jesus and not have to have all of the answers to every question that gets thrown at you. Like that is so comforting, especially if you're a new believer because all kinds of things happen. I, I, man, I remember, you know, you get into new environments with new people and all of a sudden there's new questions that get thrown at you, right? I know for, I mean, for kids, they go, I mean, especially when you go to college, like that's a big time. I know for me, there were, I could count on maybe two hands and if I took a, a shoe off on, on a foot, how many times I encountered somebody who said something to me on campus at UCLA and I thought, I don't know. Like, but, but I mean, I was under the impression that if I didn't have the answer, then Jesus fails, right? And I go running back to my dorm and, and try to find the answer, or try to find a verse that talks about it. Or I call a friend of mine, you know, from home and, and you know, um, and I just, I wish that I had meditated on this just to be able to say, you know what? There's stuff I don't know, but there's also stuff I do know, right? And so let that comfort you. This man still doesn't even know who Jesus is. And yet he's telling his story. He's telling his story. I think this also speaks to the authenticity of the account itself. If you look at, if you're going to make up stories about Jesus, you don't put in that the guy he healed didn't know who he was. Okay? That's kind of embarrassing. You know, because he's supposed to be an expert, right? If you're going to make this up, you don't put in there that he didn't even know who Jesus was until the end, right? So, so that's good. So this is, so we are, we are blinded by normal and we just need to tell our story and be free to not know the answer to every question. Like, that's okay. So our second point, the second kind of blindness that keeps us from being able to have real conversations that get, makes it safe enough for us to pull our head out of the sand. Again, this is for Christians and for non. Um, the second way that we're blinded is that we're blinded by power. We're blinded by power. This is the Pharisees. And this is verses, if you want to, is verses 13 to 17 and then verses 24 to 34. Okay, the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders in Jesus's day. These were the folks that were in control of Judaism. Okay. And so the Pharisees, their response to G, uh, to this man, look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, just, um, just bottom line, just said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees had this idea of what the Sabbath was. And, and if you do a little bit of research, it's kind of crazy um, what the, some of the rules that the Pharisees had. They said that you weren't actually allowed if you accidentally left um, a light on um, on Saturday when the Sabbath started, or I guess it was Friday night when the Sabbath started. If you left the light on, once the Sabbath started, when the sun went down on Friday, you were not, it would be work and breaking the Sabbath if you turned that light off, okay? If you extinguished um, uh, like a lamp, you know, like a, you have a wick, with, it's lit with, with oil in it. To snuff that out was work and would be violating the Sabbath, okay? It was wrong to heal on the Sabbath. I mean, we see that in the, in, the, in the scriptures. There's a bunch of places where it was wrong to heal. But they, the, the Pharisees actually worked this thing out where it was okay to provide medical attention to somebody that was in desperate emergency need, but you couldn't do anything to heal them on the Sabbath. 
Okay, so you could keep them at the exact level of life. You could do things that would keep them from getting worse, but you couldn't make them any better, or you would be violating the Sabbath. You'd be doing work on the Sabbath. And there's stuff like if you see, <laughs> you can't pluck out a hair from your beard or from your head on the Sabbath because that would be work. Um, I mean, there's lots of laws that really get kind of nutty and crazy. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's it just, it shows how blind the Pharisees were. that They stared the situation in the face of a man who was born blind. And for who knows how many years he sat there begging. And all of a sudden he received his sight. And instead of rejoicing, they said, wait a minute, what, what day did Jesus do that on? Wait, wait, you're not allowed to do that. You can't give sight to the blind. God would not want you to restore sight to the blind on the Sabbath. Are you crazy? Now, what was it in the Pharisees that made them blind? We don't really know explicitly here, but if we just flip over one page and look in John chapter 11, so two chapters later, in John chapter 11, listen to what the Pharisees say. It says, the chief priests, this is chapter 11, verse 47. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. <clears throat> so what's happening there? They're gathering together. They're trying to figure out, okay, we have a problem here. And the problem's name is Jesus. What are we going to do about him? Because he's doing all these miracles. So here's what's interesting is that they see the miracles. They acknowledge the miracles. And yet, let me read on. Verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you don't know anything at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Which is actually an interesting foreshadowing of the gospel, you know, and, and that's become an amazing, like, good news statement. But then when they were saying this, here's what was happening. They were saying, you know what, if we acknowledge Jesus we are going to lose our power. If Jesus is the Christ, if we acknowledge that this man was healed of his blindness, then we will not be in power anymore. Then Jesus will be the one that everybody should follow. And he's made it really clear that there's a lot of stuff that we're doing that doesn't belong to God. And so if Jesus succeeds, we will be ruined. I mean, that's just, I mean, that you couldn't get any more clear that this is bl people being blinded by power. They're blinded by power. They cannot acknowledge Jesus because if they do, they will lose their power. <clears throat> and it's interesting because this isn't an intellectual objection. Right? They acknowledge the miracles. They acknowledge the signs that Jesus did. This is a volitional objection. This is an objection of the will. We see the miracles. 
we see the evidence. We are not disputing it, at least in private. But we cannot have Jesus be who he says he is. Because if we do, we will lose our power. And we see this. You look in verse 24 in our passage. They called the man in who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. What are they doing? They're bringing him in. You can imagine standing around him, right? This, this poor, formerly blind guy who was a beggar all his life, right? They gather around him and they say, Look, we know that this man is a sinner. And what are they doing? They're putting pressure on him, right? Look, we know that this man is a sinner, right? Do you understand? We know that Jesus is not from God, right? That's what they're doing here. Because the only way for them to get around this miracle that happened is to discredit Jesus or discredit the blind man. And so they bring him in and they put the pressure on him. They want to dismiss this, but they can't. And so what we see here, and this is where, where it kind of begins to hit home. You know, the Pharisees, they are sticking to their view at the cost of evidence. The evidence is before them and they're ignoring it. They're ignoring it. I mean, not only are they wrong, but they have constructed a system within which they will never, ever see that they are wrong. One author said, it's one thing to be genuinely mistaken and to be open to new evidence, to new arguments, to new insights. It's another to create a closed world like a sealed room in which no light, no fresh air can come in from the outside. And this is all of us. This isn't just, I mean, Christians and non-Christians alike do this. Christians sometimes are unwilling to listen to what the evidence says. You know, unwilling to listen to some of the things that might, you know, disrupt their cherished beliefs. And non-Christians do the same thing. We had somebody recently give his life to Christ. He became a Christian because he finally realized that when he kept looking at the evidence, he had this hardwired negative emotional reaction to the idea of a personal God. And he said the thing, one of the things that finally helped him um, come to the truth of Jesus was that he realized that his negative emotional reaction to the concept of a personal creator God was based on nothing. There was no evidence or substance underneath it. And when he finally realized that, he could actually say, okay, so I have this reaction. I'm not going to ignore it because it may be based on something, but at least I'm going to not let it interpret all the evidence for me. And once he sort of separated that emotional reaction and looked at the evidence, he said, I realize that there is more evidence for a creator God than for not. It takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe. And he said, once I was able to see that, that the, the evidence so weighted in favor, and this is a lawyer, right? So this is a guy who works with preponderance of the evidence, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that kind of stuff. 
um, once he made that connection, he said, you know, and I know if there is a God, that Jesus is his manifestation in the flesh. And so for us, like, we need to be careful. We just need to be careful that, um, that we not let our, our power, like, or our desire to live a certain way um, blind us from the truth. Okay? Um, I know some people today resist Jesus because they're afraid of what Jesus says about the way they live. Right? There's things in their life that they know they might have to give up in order to honor Jesus. And so they just decide, they, they, they come up with any reason that they can think of that will help them put distance between them and Jesus. He just, and I feel like what this passage is showing us is people that are doing this in a way that makes me think, you know what, I just want to be given to the truth, whatever it is. Whatever it is. There is freedom in that. There's freedom with that. Um, I've heard Tim Keller say that sometimes we need to doubt our doubts. You know, that we don't just let our doubts have free reign, but that there are times we need to examine our doubts. What are these doubts based on? What are our objections? What are those based on? If it's based on something, you know, about the evidence, well, then let's look at the evidence, right? Um, if it's not based on evidence, well, why are we so emotionally reacting to this? You know, what's going on here? And, and, and to push into that and to talk about it. And so, but just as we can be blinded by what we're normally used to, we can also be blinded um, by power. So third, our third point, is that we can be blinded by approval. That, bl- that approval can blind us. Right? And this, uh, this is the man's parents. Right? Verses 18 to 23. Um, they call, you know, when the parents got called in, the Pharisees, the Jews, they brought the parents in because they wanted to put pressure on them to discredit the miracle. And so they asked the parents, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And the parents, their answer in 20 and 21, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. You can see the carefulness. It's almost like they're, they know they're in, a, in, a, in like a deposition. You know, everything they say can and will be used against them later in this conversation, later for their lives. So they're speaking with great care. So we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Right? So they couldn't say they weren't his parents. Right? They couldn't say he wasn't born. I mean, yeah, they couldn't say that but then they decided to not, um, to avoid giving credit to Jesus. And they pushed it back on the son. They feel the danger of that, right? That everything you say can and will be used against you. And so they're afraid of the truth. Now, why? Why? Well, verse 22 tells us, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And so they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. Well, what does that mean? I mean, in some ways, it means excommunication, but it means more than that. It means being stigmatized, even out of the community. 
okay? You gotta realize that th th these, these cultures were very communal, not individualistic at all. And so the idea, if this happened to you, you would have a loss of friends, a loss of support, you'd end up with a bad reputation. Everybody would think that you were out of a relationship with God. Um, in a sense, the parents would become like the woman at the well from John chapter 4. Ostracized, isolated from the community, thought of in the worst possible light. And so they feared the Jews. They feared their reputation. They feared losing the approval of their community. And that blinded them. It blinded them. And I think about that. The notion that they were afraid. Because think about this. How can there ever be truth if there is fear to share? If you are afraid of what the truth might be, then you're never ever going to get to the truth. How can there be honest dialogue when there are threats if you answer a question in a certain way? Right? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I would say that you need to be willing to let go of your preconceived notions and just tell people what you think. Right? My hope is that we've created an environment here where you are free to share everything that you think where you're free to express every objection, every ounce of evidence that you have that would discredit Christianity. I'm not afraid of that. If the evidence tells us that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then I will embrace that evidence and walk away from following Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus apart from evidence. We don't close our minds and blind ourselves from our eyes and close our ears and ignore the evidence. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus was the truth. He was about seeking the truth. If we get into situations where we are keeping someone else from being able to tell what they think or to tell the truth, then you lose out on the opportunity to know the truth. Or you lose out on at least the opportunity to have all the facts. Christians do this in the church. Non-Christians do this outside the church. Like, we're all guilty of this. Options get closed off. If you answer the wrong way, you are going to be out. You're not going to be part of the community. That's persecution. I mean, in its mildest form. I mean, it can get, you know, depending on what the consequences are. But anything that keeps you from feeling free to tell the truth is persecution. And so because of that, because the parents, I mean, I guess at this point, the parents looked at the community and they looked at their son and they threw their son under the bus. That's a bleak picture sometimes, I think, for us to, I mean, that's kind of what is possible for us to do when we put the blinders on that we will do things that we never, ever, ever would have thought we were capable of. 
I think that these parents also really helpfully speak to the people who say, look, we talk about Jesus. You know, you say this, I say this. We agree, we don't agree. We agree, we don't agree. If only Jesus could just show up, right? If only Jesus would come into my life and do a miracle, then I would believe. I totally get and, and, and empathize with that desire. There are times when I wish Jesus would show up and just tell me what to do. Make himself real. Make it really clear what I'm supposed to do. Right? So I totally get it. But this passage makes me realize that even in the face of miracles, it still takes faith. Even with miracles, you can still put the blinders on and ignore Jesus for who he is. And so... Man, social pressure, the need for approval, the need for power, um, the unwillingness to see something new. I mean, this is what causes blindness, even in the face of a miracle. And this stuff, it just, it helps us realize that there are times that we can get to a place, we've made up our mind that no amount of evidence will make a difference. That is blindness. That is blindness. So the last blindness that uh, this passage shows us is that um, experts can blind. Experts can blind. This is also verses 18 to 23. And this is the group of people that John refers to as the Jews. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe until they called the parents. Um, And they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess the Christ. Um, The Jews here sort of refers to the wider community. This isn't apart from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders of the community, but it's, it's the entire community, okay? And I think what we see here is that the community was following after the leaders, okay? The blindness that plagued the, the, the wider community was a blindness that said, look, this can't happen because the experts say it can't happen, Okay? We don't know a whole lot. We're not sure. But if the experts say it can't happen, then we know it can't happen. Okay? And, and the reality that I think this passage is showing us is that the experts can be wrong. Okay? The experts can actually blind us. Because these folks, following the religious experts, they are following folks that are blind guides. Right? Because we already know from this passage that the religious leaders are willfully opposed. They are refusing evidence. They're ignoring evidence. They're explaining evidence away. They're inventing reasons to ignore the evidence. They're coming up with explanations that would take more faith than it would just to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of sinners. He's claiming to be God. He's doing things only God can do. He's doing things in the name of God. He's claiming to be the one who has come to save the world. They even admit to each other that they are lying against the evidence. And yet this whole community is following them. That's not good. That's not good. So how do you resist this kind of blindness? Right? Because how can you know more than the experts? Right? There's some questions that come up and you're thinking, well, like, there's no way. If I have experts on this side, experts on this side, then I'm, like, why try? 
I would say that this kind of evidence, this, or this kind of blindness, the way to resist this kind of blindness is with this. It's the Bible. Um, the Bible is the testimony of God. So you can read this and decide if you think that Jesus is who he says he is or not. Like this is an amazing book. There is no other book that I know of that is at the same time humiliating and exalting. Right? I don't know another book that makes me feel worse about myself and better about myself. Right? I don't know another book that confronts me with the depths of evil that lie inside my heart and my mind, but then at the exact same time has changed my heart and mind, has caused those things to be raised from the dead and given me like new life, a new perspective, a continuing presence of the God of this book that makes me different. The incredible affirmation of God in this book that he does love you that he has forgiven you that he has that you have peace with him that you are adopted into his family that he has made you righteous in his sight that your sin sent Jesus his son to the cross and yet he sent his son to the cross so that he could love you as his son or daughter Like there's nothing else like this. When you read this, when you are humbled by it, there's things in here that'll bother you, that'll make you uncomfortable, that'll make you not want to open it up again. And yet, there are things in here that make you think, oh my God, really? Is it true? Is this true? And if you devote yourself to this, then you can find out for yourself. You can find out if what I'm saying is consistent with this. And you should. Right? You can find out if there is evidence to support these things. What is the evidence that the Bible has to talk about the resurrection of Jesus? Um, We actually have a class that we're going to start in May, on Wednesdays in May in the evenings, called Christianity Explored where we are going to invite anybody that's interested in exploring the claims of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Why does it matter? We're going to spend eight weeks going through the claims of Jesus. And so that's a good next step if you want to actually, you know, have an environment where you can pursue this and read it for yourself. Um, But this is how, um, if you're not a Christian, that's a great way to do it. If you are a Christian, you stay in this book. You stay in this book and let, the, and let Jesus speak to you because it will expose your blindness. It'll expose the latent blindness, the defensiveness, those things in your heart and your character that need to be dealt with. And so, man, that, I mean, that really, that, that deals with all of our blindness. I think all four kinds of this blindness. If we stay in this book, it will teach us to open our eyes both to what is good and what is, that needs to be fixed. Um, the end of this story is that the man is cast out in verse 34. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus comes and finds him. 
Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and found him. And found him. Here's the good news, that if you move from your place of blindness, you know, whether you're blinded by the normal, blinded by, memorize my points here, whether you're blinded by power, whether you're blinded by approval, or whether you're blinded by, um, what's the fourth point? My goodness. Thank you, by the experts. Good night. Whether you're blinded by any of these things, when you move, when you begin to expose your blindness, when you begin to admit your blindness, Christian or not, when you do that, when you move from that place and begin to say, Jesus, I am open, Jesus will come to you. He will seek you out. He will find you and you will find him. And when you do that, you will have a relationship. Because when you find him, you'll find him now. He's crucified and risen from the dead. When he comes to you, he comes with his healing power, with his forgiveness. And so when normal blinds you, Jesus takes your normal and will do things that are impossible in your life. Okay, when power is what blinds you, you can give your power to Jesus and you can trust him because he is the only person who ever took the power that he had and used it to serve to the point of death. That's why you can trust him with power because he never ever uses power to serve himself. When approval blinds you, you give Jesus your attention and you will find that it's his opinion that matters most. And that in the midst of a community of people even that disagree with you, the affirming smile and nod of Jesus is even stronger. And then when the experts blind you, Jesus becomes the expert. Again, who doesn't use his expertise to serve himself, but uses his expertise to serve you. He doesn't have a hidden agenda. His desire is to love you and to give you a life that is abundant, that is full of richness, significance, and meaning. So I just invite you to seek Jesus. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to confess that I have been blind in these ways. And I come to you now and ask that you would forgive me for my blindness and that you would help me to reopen myself to you and the truth. Lord, I pray for everyone here, for the Christians, that they would find it to be easier and easier and easier for them to seek you, to find you in your word. And for the non-Christians here, Lord, help them to see what you have done for them so that they too would cast their cares, cast their, their, their fears, that they would give you their power and their need for approval onto you. Because only you can bear that. Lord, help all of us to seek you, to find you, even today. Amen.